0: be speaking the whole time because who's
1: someone clapping (laughs) (laughs) the least exciting thing is that I will not be speaking the whole time okay because what we're going to be doing today as we uh, mentioned before is we've been having this series on uh, adventures and love sex and dating for the past five weeks we have talked about everything that you need to know for about love, about sex, and about dating, and what it takes as a single person to get to that right place in marriage. And I told y'all so many times about my high, high, high view of marriage, and that's why we're doing this series. Now, over the course of those weeks, y'all had lots of questions, because obviously this subject isn't one that we hear about necessarily every week in most churches. So what we said we would do is we would gather all the questions together, and we would have a session at the end, where uh, we would bring back our wonderful speakers and their even more wonderful spouses, their wives, because it's very easy for the husband to stand up here and say all kinds of stuff, and then you can ask the wife what they say is really true or not, all right? So what we're going to do is we have accumulated 15 questions, okay, and, and I, I apologize if we didn't answer everyone's question, but there was just too many, and even I consolidated some even to get to this point, point. and we're gonna direct each question to one of the uh, panel speakers, but as you see, they have individual microphones. I have this thing, so I can chime in whenever I want, which I probably will, okay? Um, so that's kind of how it's gonna go, okay? I'm the moderator here for today, so. We're gonna start off, let's see. <laughs> start off with a question for Miss. Oh, I'll introduce everyone, I'm sorry. First we need to introduce. So over here, we have uh, Michael, okay? Everyone knows Michael and his lovely wife, Sarah. Big hand for them. <laughs> been married how many years? Been married five years, okay? Then we have uh, Mr. Kurt right here and his lovely wife, Susan, big hand for them. Been married how many years?
2: 20 years in a month.
1: 20 years, give him another hand, okay? And here we have the fairest of them all, my lovely wife, Marianne, okay? Who you hear me speak about all the time. And we've been married how long, Marianne?
3: 14 and a
1: half. 14 and a half, okay? We're still counting in halves. All right, let's start here. We're going to start off with Kurt. A question from a gentleman, which says How can men still become the head of the household and the priest of the home when having to take on more of the household responsibilities or not necessarily being the breadwinner?
2: So, um, <clears throat> being the head of the household, I'm, I'm yeah, it's a little more stressful with my wife up here next to me. <laughs> it was easier when I, when I was up here just looking out across the audience. It's a little tougher with Susan, and she, I'm in, within arm's reach here. Um, being the head of the house, especially as a male, is more about leadership. It's not about how we divvy up the responsibilities. And over the years, Susan and I have really had to work through this. It's not a 50 50 split. Through periods of our marriage and periods of our life, it's changed. Sometimes, you know, Susan is doing more in the household, sometimes I'm doing more in the household. And also, um, a lot of people get into that, you know, that whole thing. Well, it's got to be a 50 50 split. Or some of the guys, and I'll speak for the men here, you think, I'm the leader of the household. You know, I should come in and everything should be ready for me. My slippers should be ready. You know, I should have a cup of coffee. That's not the way that it is. I mean, uh, marriage is very, very much a, a relationship. And one of the things that we talked about, and particularly when I, when I gave my talk, it was the whole attitude of a servant's attitude and that's really what it comes down to the best leaders as we saw through our our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ are those who serve and to be a man of the household it doesn't matter if you're not bringing in as much money as your wife or you're doing more around the house it's really about the attitude that you're doing it with it's having that servant's heart that servant's attitude and that's the key And, and if you remember from the the talk there was a cycle there was the more you serve your wife the more your wife is going to honor you and respect you, and then the easier it is to to lead and to serve. Because in a leadership role, the guys, we have the responsibility. When we stand before the judgment seat, okay, it's not about who served, who brought in the money. God will look to the man and say, I gave you the responsible role. You are the responsible party. And so it is really up to us, again, having that servant's heart, and making sure that we know that ultimately we are the one who are responsible for the spiritual growth of our family and when we stand before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that is our responsibility. We can't shirk that. I mean, that is God-given responsibility. If you wanna go against what's in the Bible and it's very, very clearly written in the Bible, then you've gotta throw out a bunch of other stuff in the Bible and that's not the way that it goes. So I think that uh, the real take home is it doesn't come down to how much you're doing, how much you're bringing in. Again, it's more of a God-given role, and the responsibility sits on our shoulders. And for the wives, this is very freeing. Um, when, we have, when we make big decisions in the household, I don't make the sole decisions. It's a Susan and I, we are a team. We make decisions regarding the, ch- the children, the expenses, um, our spiritual growth, all those things, it's a tag team. But ultimately, I am the one who has to make the decision, okay, if, if we're kind of wavering back and forth. Susan's opinion weighs more than anything. But before God, I have to stand before God and say, this is what we decided. It is on me. And so hopefully that answers the kind of the meat of the question.
1: Thank you, Kurt. I will right, we'll go for uh, one for the ladies, okay. for Marianne here. Is it appropriate for a girl to ask a guy out? If not, how does a girl show a guy she's interested? Now, obviously, this question's from Marianne because obviously Marianne was (laughs) chased. So, Marianne's an expert on (laughs) you. So,
3: contrary to what Abuna just said, now I get to contradict, speak the truth. Um, I uh, think if you're chasing him before you get married, you're probably going to be chasing him your whole entire married life together. So I don't think it's a good idea. Um, I know it's just my opinion. The other thing I think about is guys, God created them with this need to chase. That's why they like to hunt and and they they like to, to pursue. They have this need to pursue. And so if we take that away from them, then um, I feel like it, it could be crushing to them when you're married. So it, it would affect your marriage. And it's I think God gave them that need because he created them to do the pursuing. But the second part of that question was, well, how do you show a guy you're interested? So again, I wouldn't I would stay away from showing a particular guy I am interested in you, but that doesn't mean not putting yourself out there in whatever way that may be. So it may be coming to church, getting really involved in church and, and letting it spark a relationship spark that way. So it doesn't mean just staying in your room closing the door and just waiting for Mr. Wright to come or even, my opinion on dating sites. I'm totally okay with that, but as long as you're not the one pursuing the guy. like You just put yourself out there and, and let God kind of um, bring the right godly man into your life.
1: And, and what, I'll, what I'll just kind of throw in, <clears throat> everything that we're talking about here today, there's no right answer. Okay, we're sharing our opinion. So Marianne shared her opinion right there, and I agree with Marianne's opinion on like g- girls asking out guys, but we're not saying it's wrong. And we're not saying it's wrong for a girl to ask a guy out. But what Marianne is saying, and I am reiterating what she said at the beginning, is that guys are not usually motivated except in the dating period. So ladies, single ladies, if you're chasing him when you're single and dating, you will chase him most likely the rest of your marriage. Because if you taught him from the beginning that he can do nothing and you're going to be the leader, then he's going to continue in that pattern. Like what I'm saying, whatever he is pursuing and dating is going to take a step down in marriage. That's just a fact. Okay, that's just how we men are. So if you, in the beginning, let him off the hook, and and you're the one pursuing him, then you're going to continue, most likely, in that pattern of chasing him around. Is it wrong? No, it's not wrong. Is it sin? No, it's not sin. Does that mean God can't bless? No, it doesn't mean God can't bless. But we're just sharing our opinion from our experience, okay? All the questions be that way, all right? Um, Michael question for Mr. Michael. Michael gave the the talk. Okay, so obviously we had lots of questions on the talk. And this one is really reiterating something that Michael said, but I think it's good to kind of clarify it even more bluntly. If I'm engaged and fully committed to my bride-to-be, what's wrong with having sex before the big day, especially if it's just months away?
4: Okay. (laughs) Okay. Every single human being in this world sees marriage or sees a wedding as something very special, something very magical, something very mystical. Every single person, Christian or non-Christian, everybody wants to get married. Atheist, everybody wants to get married. There's something special about it. Why? Because the designer of who we are embedded inside of us or put inside of us that marriage is something special something that is mystical, something that's above just a normal relationship. So that's why so many people desire it, and so much more for Christians. So, um, so a wedding and, and, and for Christians is a bond that cannot be unbroken. It's a bond that goes beyond what we can see. It's something mystical. The highlight of that bond occurs after all the prayers, after all the reception is done, is when that marriage is fully consummated. It's in full intimacy, everything happens at that night. Everything is consummated on that day. Because that's, there's something mystical that happens through the prayers at the wedding day that, gives, that God is saying, I am now in the middle of both of you, and us three, we're gonna make this work. So that's what happens on, on a wedding day. If you don't view it that way, you're just paying for a very expensive family reunion. Your, your, your wedding day is just glamour and pictures and just a, a fun, joyous day for everybody. But the, the reality of it, it is a spiritual union. It is something that's beyond, we, beyond comprehension. It's a mystical bond that God says, I love this boy, I love this girl, and us three, we're going to make this work. So sex before marriage, is, it, it only leads to, to, to problems. It only leads to problems. Because you have not invited God to come right in the middle of both of you and to ordain this marriage for the both of you. And, and when I say sex, like, obviously, I'm talking about everything that goes with that. So don't allow the devil to play with your mind saying, you know, to try to break the rule. But, but sex and that full intimacy and everything involved in sexual intimacy is something that's consummated on the wedding day because God is there to ordain that marriage.
1: And, and, and I'll just add on to that one. That, that, that's an important one. That Remember last week when I told y'all, I was giving y'all the, the tips, okay, how to be prepared because preparation, I'm sorry, promise is no substitute for preparation. Remember we talked about that last week? And remember the last point that I said is get rid of the physical stuff. And I was, you know what I'm saying, like very strong against it because I told y'all, I see stuff that you don't see. I see stuff that you don't see because you're single and you see, wouldn't it be great if we did? But I see after marriage it stinks that we did and we regret that we did and we spend the rest of our life i don't want to say god can never fix it I, I, I don't mean that by any means but again like we said last week why do i want to fix something when i can like there's a brand new car and there's one that requires fixing i could fix it but why would i not want the new one so y'all don't see the effect of breaking god's commandments on the most important event of your life the most important event of your life is your marriage And you don't see the effect before marriage of what's going to be after marriage when I break God's rules. Because if I set, talked about last week, patterns continue. So if my ways, my patterns are God's rule isn't as important as what I want. If that's the pattern that's set before marriage, that will be the pattern that continues after marriage. And we need our marriage, you need your marriage to be based on God number one, everything else number two. And if you break that before that's unfortunately um, probably a sign of things to come. Now, I had a follow-up question on that one that someone actually gave me this morning, but I'll answer it myself, just so no surprises here for our panel. Someone asked me this morning, someone basically on that topic of physical, so you're saying that there should be no physical and then full physical, meaning you go from zero to 100 in one day. Isn't gradual approach more appropriate, okay? (laughs) And the expression is, if you're going to buy the car, you kick the tires, right? Isn't that what they say? I'm, I'm going to buy a car if I didn't test, test drive it, right? Forgive me? That's an extremely dumb thing to say. <laughs> extremely dumb. Extremely dumb because, number one, it puts sex as just like a physical thing. And we agreed sex is way more than physical. Like, forgive me, I'm going say, forgive me. If you look at sex as the physical part, well, how am I going to figure it out? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. People have been, bring a boy dog and a girl dog, lock them over there, they'll figure it out. So to say, I need to figure it out, don't worry, you're going to be just fine. What we agreed, when we talked about the talk, is that what determines the quality of one's sex life is not the experience factor. It's actually the opposite. It's the exclusivity factor. And there have been studies done, y'all can look this up yourself that for a female especially, for a female especially, the more times that you have sex outside of a committed exclusive relationship, the more times that that happens, the lower your ceiling becomes of what you can reach in that exclusive relationship. Does that make sense? So every time you have sex outside, boys it's true too, but not as much because boys, this is not a true (laughs) Boys aren't as, yeah. For girls, the more times that you have sex outside of a committed exclusive relationship, the more you are lowering your own ceiling of pleasure and enjoyment and satisfaction and intimacy and oneness and all those good things when you do get into that exclusive relationship. And the inverse is true as well, is that in an exclusive relationship, the more that you practice sex in that exclusive relationship, the more you're increasing your threshold and ability to reach new states of intimacy and, and all kinds of fun stuff, okay? We good on that one? If anyone has like a, like a follow-up or like ask for clarification, like, like you can like, raise your hand and let me know. We're informal here today, but just wanna be clear on that, okay? Let's lighten the mood a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Susan, Miss Susan here for us. Answer this for Susan. What attributes of being a Christian wife are appropriate when you're just dating? Help our single ladies out. We talked a lot about what does it mean? We know kind of what is a married woman supposed to be? How does that kind of apply when ladies are single? Hmm.
5: I, I got married very young. So uh, Kurt and I spent the whole first year of our marriage figuring out how to communicate. It wasn't really pretty, I have to confess. I do feel like being a really good communicator who can respectfully communicate to somebody is really, really important. Um, I feel like any opportunity that you have to, to be flexible, to serve, so that it's not always about I can have things in my own time when I want to, because when we're single, that's what we can do. You know, we are in charge of all of the details of our life. So I feel like opportunities like that really give us a chance to build that servant's heart. Um, I just have to say something about submission, though, if that's okay, because I do feel like it plays a role in how we prepare as in our dating lives. That. Submission is not that you are, you know, the CEO of your company and you're independent and you live on your own and you make all those, all your own decisions and everything else, then all of a sudden you become a doormat in marriage and you are saying, okay, you make all the decisions and yes, sir, and uh, ob- obedience and all this other stuff. That's when we talk about it and we read scripture, sometimes that's a perception that we end up with. And I feel like it's. It's a, the partnership and learning how to communicate in that partnership. It's learning how to be influential and powerful when you're not necessarily the one in charge. So I feel like all those things are things that we can practice, whether you're married or single, um, is respectful communication, you know, practicing by serving as much as you can, having flexibility in your relationships, um, things like that.
1: Who's the Who's the picture of submission in the Bible? Who? Okay, Sarah, even more than Sarah, even more than Saint Mary, Jesus, right? Jesus. Who did Jesus submit to? The Father. And actually, for those who are here during the liturgy this morning, we actually read from First Peter chapter two and chapter three. Chapter three in First Peter begins with what sentence? Wives. Submit to your husbands. And St. Peter goes and boom, 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 and tells the wives to submit and all this kind of stuff. And and there's two passages in the Scripture that tell wives to submit. There's 1 Peter 3 and Ephesians 5. 1 Peter is written by Peter, and Ephesians is written by Paul. Paul spoke one sentence to the ladies, wives, submit to your husbands, and spoke this much to the men. Peter did the opposite. Peter spoke this much to the ladies and one verse to the men. Why? Because Peter was married, okay, and he had a wife, so he said, "Ladies, sit down." Okay, <laughs> Paul didn't know much about women, so he just said, "Wives, well, submit." But you know, but Peter said, no, "No, no, let's help them out here with this one." Okay, and Peter had mercy on the man. Okay, First Peter chapter three is all about submit, 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 submit. What does First Peter chapter two end with? What's it all about? It's about how Jesus submitted, and it said that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return; when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously meaning he submitted himself to the Father and he submitted to his will, even though it wasn't fair, even though it didn't seem right, like the Father's up there and the Holy Spirit and they're like hanging out and having a good time and I'm down here suffering, but he submitted himself to the Father. So like Susan is saying, we talk about submission, we're talking about laying down one's life, but not in a weak way, actually in a strong way. Like Jesus showed strength when he submitted, not, not weakness, okay? And I always tell ladies to that one, what does a girl do? Okay, when she's single to prepare for for marriage I'll give you a very simple one ladies and it's actually based on that same passage from first Peter chapter 3 is you should be as beautiful as you can when you're single that should be your number one focus to make yourself as beautiful as possible but as the scripture teaches us beauty is not hair and and necklace and earrings and, and makeup beauty is what is the inner beauty you should you should make yourself the most beautiful attractive woman in the world and that actually ties with Ann. you want to uh, what should I do? Should I ask a boy out? Don't ask a boy out. Make yourself so beautiful that boy doesn't see anyone else except you. And how you make yourself beautiful? By inner peace, by a submissive spirit. A peaceable spirit is what Peter says. If you want further detail, go read First Peter chapter 3 from verse 1 to like verse 6 or 7 or something like that. And make yourself the most beautiful knockout babe in the whole town. <laughs> okay, but make sure it's the right kind of beauty. Okay? This is the next question I'm going to answer myself because it's a married person asking a little bit of a delicate question, so I want to be clear on this one. This is a married person saying, what if previous to your marriage you were dating someone else for a long time? You left that person not completely convinced, but more because of impatience and to avoid falling into premarital sex. And this guilt, that you may have possibly made a mistake by breaking up that previous relationship, is haunting you in your current marriage, especially when things get tough. Parentheses, and they do a lot. Especially if you feel... If you felt total love in your previous dating relationship and feel no love in your married relationship, how do you deal with that? So that was one sentence, okay, that the person (laughs) wrote. Okay, I tried to break it up a little bit, but basically what the person is saying, I was dating someone, and then I broke up with that person, but I love that person, and I feel like I made a mistake breaking up with them. Now I married someone else, and I'm comparing this to that thinking I made a mistake. I wish I had married that. Okay, you see where the question's going? So what I would tell this person is, you made a horrible mistake, and you missed out on the right person, so you're just doomed to a life of misery. <laughs> because that's what this person wants to believe. And I would tell that to this person, and they would laugh the way you laughed, and I would say, but that's what you are waiting for me to tell you, right? And this person would realize that that's not, they, it's silly to say, okay, but that's, there's only two options. There's only two options. Either you made a mistake, and you're gonna be miserable the rest of your life, or you make this work. And there's a way to make this work. And I would say to this person, Who's saying this, if you all remember week one of this series, the person who's saying I married the wrong person is focusing on what between two people? Chemistry. 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 There's no chemistry. There was chemistry with this person, but now there's no chemistry with this person. First thing I'll say is there was chemistry with this person, that's why you dumped the other person and married this person. Chemistry is a is a volatile thing. Chemistry is like the wind. Like some days it's windy, some days it's not. So to sit there and base your entire future on there's chemistry or no chemistry, it's a ridiculous thing because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you leave this husband, I'm assuming it's a, it's a woman, but it could be either way. If you leave this person to go back to that person where there's chemistry, I guarantee you, one year down the road, two years down the road, there'll be no chemistry there either. I guarantee you. It, it, it's, 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 it's as simple as, I gave this one time in a sermon, your spouse, married people, because we talked a lot to the single people, married people. Your spouse is not perfect. There's no spouse who's perfect. And your spouse right now is providing 80% of what you're looking for in a spouse, 80%. No one's gonna give you more than 80%. But the fear is that I look at the 20% I'm lacking and find it in that person. So I say, this person has this and this person is lacking. So I want that 20%. Would anyone in their right mind give up $80 to get $20? That's what we do all the time. That's what we do. We say, that person has the 20% that I'm lacking. Okay, but they're missing the 80% that you have. So you willing to trade in 80% for 20%? You're not a very smart person. Trust me. Okay, chemistry comes and chemistry goes. We're not basing our future on chemistry. What we're gonna do is realize, you can have chemistry, sorry to say, other than me, okay, <laughs> you can have chemistry with just about anybody. For me, there's only one, okay? But you, can have chemistry with just about anybody. And I don't wanna say you can, any marriage, you can make it work, but I kinda feel like if you stand in front of this altar and you're united in Christ, you can make it work. Like I I know we we wanna romanticize marriage to like that one right person, and I married the wrong person. I know we wanna romanticize it, but I just, I don't believe that. And I don't think that history agrees with that because history all through the years, Forget about our, forget about the last hundred years. Most of our parents, and our parents' parents, and our parents' 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 parents, they just, the mother said, you married this boy, (laughs) you married this girl, and they found a way to make it work. And And I'm not saying that so we should go to that extreme, but my point is, you can make it work if you believe that you can make it work. And if you believe that you cannot make it work, you cannot make it work. So this person, If what I would say to this person, if you're gonna go into it saying, I married the wrong person, how do I fix this marriage? You're never gonna fix that marriage. Because anything that person does, you're gonna say it's the wrong person. And you can find a hundred reasons to say I married the wrong person. What you need to do is change your mindset and say, this is the right person who gives me 80, but no one else would give me any more than 80. So how can I work with the other 20? How can, you know what I'm saying? Good on that one? All right. Sarah. Sarah, can the wounds and brokenness of our past ever be healed? Can the wounds and brokenness, I'm assuming that's a female, but we don't know. Can the wounds and brokenness of our
4: past ever be healed? All right,
0: um, it could also be a male, a female <laughs> or male. But um, to whoever that is, this is actually a very um, personal question. To, like. I take a lot of, this is a very personal question to me because it's a journey that I have personally have gone through and am going through. And my answer to you is yes, for sure. Um, but, sorry, um, but I actually wanted to have the Bible tell you that it's a yes, for sure. And I want to read a little, just a couple of verses here and there from Isaiah chapter 61 because this is like my life um, chapter right here. That I literally read to myself every single morning almost to remind myself and to hold on to that hope and that promise um in Isaiah 61 it starts off in verse 1. Um, I'm gonna like skip around so just you know bear with me um it says he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners I'm gonna skip down to verse 3 to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. If you skip down to verse seven, it says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. And to me, it's just so beautiful and there's no other answer other than yes, your, your wounds and your brokenness can be healed, that's what God came for, that's what Christ came for, he came specifically for that. And to, if it's something, it's just something, the, the thing between us and that healing is ourselves. And what we have to do is we have to just accept it. Once we believe that Christ came to heal us, we accept that, and then it's going to be a journey. It's going to be, you know, you're going to have your ups and downs, but you are healed as of that moment once you believe that, once you take his promise. And then it's just a journey of healing, like the pieces coming together and the brokenness coming together. And God used all the great people that God have used has used were broken people or people that were wounded. And it's kind of like a great motivation to be like, I get to be one of those great people that God's going to use. And I look at, like, my hurt or my wounds or my past as something that, It's going to end up being a glory to god and kind of like what joseph said um to his brothers after all the bro i mean joseph went through a lot and he said you have done this to um you may have done this to hurt me but like god is using this for his glory and i think that that's how you should look at don't look at your wounds as something that like you know your past or something that identifies you or, or brings you down but look at it as something that god's going to get to use for his glory and just remind yourself of that every day because it will be hard and you will have to remind yourself. But just hold on to that promise and just read Isaiah 61 every single day until it clicks.
1: Thank you very much, Sarah. And I don't think there's a person on this stage or in this here who would, who would say that we've never had a wound or a, a brokenness or whatever. Like we've all been in that same position. So what I would encourage this person is, is look backwards and see that you've been hurt and God has brought you. And you've seen pain and God has brought you through and whatever you're in right now, God will get you through it. Okay, maybe not today or tomorrow, but God will get us always through because we have a good God. Uh, Kurt, sticking with some wounds here. Um, How does one deal with repeated rejections and failed relationships before they even start without becoming jaded by the idea of relationships? Is this due to poor preparation or just bad luck? Thank you.
2: So, like Sarah, <coughs> this one kind of hits personal for me. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not sure if this is a guy or a girl, but I'm going to take it from a, a male perspective. And sometimes guys have this tendency to, you know, we'll hit a wall. And what we'll do is we'll take three steps back and hit the wall again. And then take four steps back and hit the wall again. You know, where, you know, somebody else might say, oh, we, we move over a step and try to miss that wall. And so, in, and this was, you know, that's kind of the way that I approached a lot of my relationships before I met my wonderful bride. Um, <clears throat> and it was, I had this idea of how relationships should go and how you go after courting and how you pursue that. And it, it was, a lot of people, not for me, but a lot of people will try the same approach time and time again and get, and get shot down. And what, what a lot of people lack is the introspection. So whether or not, maybe this is a relationship, maybe this is your job hunt, you know, you're know, you looking for a job. It could, this can apply to a lot of different areas in life, is that if something is not working, the wise thing to do is take a couple steps back and, and spend some time in introspection. And to say, okay, you know, what is, it, what is it about, what's going on here? And Abuna said so nicely this morning in a sermon, we all come in with baggage, and especially when you go in a relationship, and we've heard it all throughout this series, is that you're coming in with so much baggage. You know, so again, I don't know the circumstances of the person who's asking the question. But there's a lot of reason why somebody might say, you know, it's not the right time. You know, you've got something else going on. Um, and the reason why this is so personal to me was, Susan said we got married very young. One of the best things that ever happened in our relationship was we were engaged. And I was all excited. I, we're, you know, I got the, the engagement ring, the whole nine yards. Went back. It was ready to propose to Susan. And Susan said, "I'm not ready." And she totally, you know, the engagement was over. And for me, that was it was crushing. Okay, here's the, here's the hand rejection. You know, it was. I thought this is she's the total package, right? Loves the Lord, intelligent, gorgeous. You know, the whole package. And I knew that this is one woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. So, you know, so again, crushed. You have two responses. Okay, one, I could, you know, whimper away because as males, and we talked about this, guys' egos were very fragile. You know, so one of the best things that uh, our, our father of confession at the time said was Susan had to list out all the areas that I needed to work on before she would consider marrying me. And this is the whole thing where I was, that was the chase, right? There was, there was the goal. And so I, the, <coughs> excuse me. Guys, or anybody, you got to look at multiple areas of your life. Again, whether it's job, or or relationship, are you there or where you need to be spiritually? Are you where you are you where you need to be emotionally, educationally? Are you ready for guys to be the leader of that household? Okay, I was not there. Okay, I was not there. I was not financially ready to support a family, and in the wisdom, Susan saw it. Her parents saw it. Abuna saw it and said, you need to take a step back. And, and this is what I'm going to encourage these folks who are running up into these roadblocks in these relationships is take a step back. Okay, Understand, and this comes back to submission, what Abuna was talking about just a moment ago, was you've got to submit to God and say, God, I don't understand. I don't get this. It doesn't make sense to me. I didn't understand why Susan didn't want to marry me. Hindsight now, you know, 20 years later, it was the best thing that could have ever happened. You've, you've got to take that submissive attitude where, you know, our mind is not your mind, God. And Sarah was just talking about in Isaiah. You know, God, we have to trust you. You know what's best for us. When it's time, when the right person is there, you will open up those doors. In the meantime, I will do my part. Okay, you don't sit idle. You don't sit back and do nothing. You do your part. You get yourself right with God. Get your emotions ready. Educational, spiritual all those pieces and parts, so that you are the best partner that you could possibly be.
1: That's a great answer. And if y'all remember when Michael spoke, he's speaking to the gentleman, okay, but it applies to all, is I was so happy when Michael said that some of us need to just take a six-month break from dating. And I was so happy that a couple of people actually came to me and said, you know what, that's me. I need to take that, that six, both guys and girls, came to me and said, you know what, I know I'm not ready right now, and anything that I get into right now, I'm just going to mess it up. So I'm going to take that 6 months break. And what I'm going to say to you is this. This is what I told the people who told me that. The minute you say, like Kurt said, I keep hitting this wall, I need to take a step back, work on myself, and then come back in the game six months later, a year later. The minute you say that, I guarantee you, the minute you say that, you're going to walk out these doors, you know who you're going to run into? Mr. Wright. Or Miss Wright, for sure. The minute you say, I'm gonna take six months to fix myself, for sure, you're gonna run into someone who you're thoroughly convinced is the right person. You're gonna have every temptation to say, okay, it worked, (laughs) and that's a mistake. Because if they're Mr. Right, they'll be there in six months. And if they're Mr. Right, they'll be there in six months. And I'll tell you what, if they are Mr. Right, and you're not Mr. Right, you're going to screw it up. So it's in your best interest to fix yourself so, that when you go to Mr. Right or Miss Right or whatever it may be, then you can be healthy in that relationship, okay? Marianne, how do you deal with loneliness when you're single?
3: Well, that's a perfect mm-hmm. question after what Avuna just said. Um, I think that we have to not be afraid of loneliness, we have to accept loneliness because. Sometimes it's during those lonely times that God works on us to prepare us for marriage. So of course we say community is really important, but if you're that type of person that there's one night and you don't have plans or two nights and you just are texting people and trying to make plans, that's, that's God is closing the doors for your plans because he wants you to be a little lonely. Um, so we, we shouldn't be scared of the loneliness. Um, I know before Abuna and I got uh, together, I was a consultant, and I was living in a hotel in Detroit, and it was lonely. It was a really, really lonely time, and I remember telling God, God, I'm lonely, and I remember him clearly telling me, I know, and you will be lonely for the next three or four months, but I have a purpose to the loneliness. It'll all be worth it in the end.
4: (laughs) And and it was.
1: I always say when it comes to loneliness, believe me, if I was never lonely, I'd never learn how to become friends with God. So and I, I agree with, very much with Mary Ann saying about how sometimes we, we run from our loneliness and we're only we're doing ourselves a disservice when we do that. Let God like let God make you a little lonely, like wrestle with it a little bit. Don't don't always be running to, to escape your loneliness. Can you I say something? To, please do.
5: Um, w- w- we had chatted a little bit too, and one of the things Sarah had mentioned was that sometimes we have this um, this perception that we struggle with loneliness when we're single, and then we get married, and then we're never lonely again, and that is not true at all. You have so many seasons of loneliness in marriage, so what Mary Ann is saying is so important because until we learn to deal with loneliness at any stage in our life and accept it that God might be using it to, to teach us something and to help us grow and that it's just a season of life. Um, because there, there's even there's a great book um, for married couples called Married But Lonely and how do I you know, how do we change this in our marriage and how do we help this not to be something that happens all the time? So, you know, loneliness is something that we do have to deal with because it doesn't just go away. You know, it happens in marriage too.
1: Excellent point. All right, let's uh, spice things up here a little bit with another question for me. What are the rules (laughs) when it comes to making love and communion? How many hours before liturgy? Couples should not be intimate. Is it the whole day after the liturgy? When can couples be intimate? This person wants to know facts. So so I'll I'll tell you this, all right? There is a lot of misinformation, okay? We make up stuff, is what I want to say. And you'd be surprised how few rules the church has. Things that we think are rules are not really rules. It's just kind of like someone said, someone said, someone said... You know what I mean? So as far as when it comes to rules, when it comes to sex and and communion in specific. We don't have a view of communion as a bad thing. I'm sorry, not bad thing. Sex is a bad thing. I'm sorry. Communion obviously is a holy thing. But sex is a holy thing too. So we don't view sex as a bad thing. And it's that sometimes that mentality that sex is bad which says you're going to church on Sunday Don't you dare think about it on Saturday and even on Sunday, just stay away from it. Because it's like a holy time. And then on Monday, be as carnal and as animalistic as you wanna be. That's a wrong mentality, it's a wrong, improper, unbiblical, unchristian view of sex. Completely unchristian view of sex. Sex is a beautiful thing. Sex is the means by which God determined that the human race will continue. It's a necessity for life. Like if there's no sex, there can be no life. I told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. But if sex is bad, then you have to sin in order to multiply. See what I'm saying? So let's now get rid of sex as the bad category. Let's put sex in the category as food. Food is good or bad? Food is good. God gave us food. We should eat, we should be healthy. However, there are times we should moderate our intake of food. And there are times we should uh, should display self-control when it comes to food, not because food is bad, Not that hamburgers are bad and veggie burgers are good. And not because water is bad, that's why we don't drink it before communion. But it's a period of self-control from a certain human element, something on this earth, earthly element, for something divine. Sex is the same way. Look at sex as you look at food. So before communion, from midnight the night before, we don't eat or we don't drink. And we should also abstain from sexual relations as well. We have to have a, a, like if we have the proper understanding of what communion is, and what sex is, there's no question. It's easy. And the, and the reason why, whenever we get too much into rules, is when we have lowered the spiritual bar to a very low level. Don't touch, touch. We don't want to have that, okay? I spared y'all the hard questions, I so had to.
3: Can I say one thing? <laughs> Please <really> do.
4: Quick. <laughs> Sorry. Give it to him.
3: <laughs> no, just. Just to the wives, because a lot of times I might be talking to wives, and they say they're very spiritual, and there's this big, long fast, and they're, you know, abstaining from that because they're so spiritual. And just kind of my two senses, that's something the husband should decide, um, not the wife.
1: Husbands, give it up. <laughs> you're welcome, husbands. All of you, you're welcome. Okay. Continue, please, go. Let's cancel all lunch plans, let's keep going. (laughs) This is important Okay, thank you, Marianne, we appreciate that, thank you. Michael, is there a time when you reach a certain purity level that you should pursue a girl? I know it's not good to take in baggage into a relationship, as you said, Uh, as you said, that you need to get rid of your bad habits, but I just don't know when I would feel right pursuing someone when I'm not pure according to not even a hint of sexual immorality. Let me paraphrase that one in case you don't understand. This person is saying, I'm single, okay? It's 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 a gentleman saying, I'm single and I'm struggling with my purity. And I'm struggling to remain pure. Does that mean I shouldn't pursue a girl now, but I have to reach a certain level in order to start dating? What would you say to that?
4: My opinion is there needs to be a central question that every guy needs to ask themselves. Do I have parameters set in my life? Do I have boundaries in my life? Examples of that. Do I have certain... If if I'm struggling with sexual immorality, do I have certain websites blocked that are my weak points? Am I spending time alone with myself more just to that's gonna lead me into trouble? Am I avoiding certain situations or am I putting myself in certain situations late at night, after parties? Bar- am I putting myself in situations that are gonna lead me to, to, to sexual immorality? Do I have parameters set up in my life? The hardest things for guys is having mentors. But believe me, if you, you know, put your ego down and, and, at, and come to another guy and says, listen, man, I need help. I need you to keep me accountable. Ask me, what did I do the night before? Ask me, how you know, am I treating women you know, the way they need to be treated? You need to find accountability partner. You need to find mentors. Because you know what's the best thing that humans do? Self-deception. We are amazing at deceiving ourselves all the time. So unless I have somebody from outside the box, outside of my life, taking a look at me, if, if I don't have that, I'm going to continue to bury myself into a deeper hole. Of, and, and, I, and I'm going to convince myself what I'm doing is not bad. It's, it's not sexual immoral. It's fine. It's a little fun, fun and games here and there. You'll convince yourself with that until it's gospel in your head. So you have to have a mentor. You have to have somebody outside. And unless you put your ego down and, and take a step and be a man and find a mentor, somebody that can keep you accountable, if you don't do that, you're going to keep on digging yourself into a hole and deceiving yourself deeper and deeper.
1: Thank you, Michael, and I'll, and I'll just I'll throw in this. This question is too general to be answered specifically, okay, because it's, it's really too difficult. But I would say this, most likely this person, by the fact that they're asking this question, shows that they're on the right path, okay? And I would say to this person that they're struggling with guilt because they're not perfect. You're not gonna be perfect before you get married. You're not going to be perfect. But are you, like Michael said, are you striving? Are you pushing? Are you, are you going in the right direction? And as long as you are, then, again, I'm not answering any specifics here, but I would say this person is probably a lot closer than they think they are, okay, just because the mere fact that they are, the one who the, one who the answer is no is the one who's living that life and isn't even cognizant of it,
2: okay? Please. So one of the other things, uh, one of the other pieces, too, is um, when you do go back into the dating scene in this kind of circumstances, Michael was talking about boundaries. got to be careful about the circumstances in which you are... Moving towards interacting with somebody from the other opposite sex, and this goes for guys and girls. Um, Group activities, very much safer, you know. Especially because there is this, you know, we, as Wuna was talking about, sex is a wonderful thing, and we have hormones, and when you find the right person, I mean, you know, things start going, and things might progress more quickly than you want them to, and so you got to be careful. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to, if especially if you know you have a weakness where you're gonna be tempted to stumble. And that's why, you know, highly encourage group outings where you can really get to know people, get to understand personalities. Um, and this could even go back to the question that I answered in terms of, you know, maybe you don't know the person as well as you think you do when you go in and you approach them for a date. And the reason you're getting rejected is because, you know, you read the signals totally wrong. You know, and the, the group thing is a it's a safer way to to approach things again when you're ready. And um, so I think the self-awareness is huge. And especially guys, I mean, Michael talked about your queen. <clears throat> Are you ready to treat the woman that you're pursuing as your queen? And that means holding her purity above anything else, above all your carnal desires, and they will be there. You just gotta really be, be careful to curb that. And society and, and mass media and things does nothing to help us, only urges us on. And you be really, really careful.
1: All right, we got two more questions to go. And then I'm going to actually I'm going to do one more question, this is for the ladies. And then I'm going to see if anyone on the panel has any final thoughts they want to add. Okay, just in case something came up that you all want to add. But I'm going to ask one question ladies, and I'm going to answer the last question myself here. Ladies, I don't know who wants to answer this one. As a female and newly married, how can I become more comfortable in my sexuality and with my body? Growing up Christian and Middle Eastern, everything was Haram, okay? (laughs) Haram, if you don't understand, is an Arabic word that basically means, like, bad, shameful, like, yeah, like, don't talk about it, don't, like, shh. We don't don't talk about that stuff, okay? Everything was labeled as, as shameful. But how do I now change that mentality? Would there have been something I could have done to prepare my mind when I was single? The standard answer of God created it and it's beautiful doesn't seem to help. Ladies. Help out our sister
0: here. (laughs) Um, All right. Um, Well, I know the standard answer is not what you want to hear, but, I mean, it's true. It is beautiful, and and it is something God created, but I think something that could help, um, I think of two things, actually, that could have helped us. The first of all is don't listen like, we need to listen to, like, God's word before we listen to, like, media or our parents or anything else. Because even media portrays sex as something, like, pornographic and <coughs> vulgar. It's not portrayed as something beautiful and something that, you know, connects to people and that's, like, a spiritual union. Like, you know, there's things out there like what we see on the media and, like, Fifty Shades of Grey and all this kind of stuff. It's put out there making it something, like, very pornographic and very vulgar and that's just how sex is portrayed. Even, like, Like, it's not showing the beauty of it. So carrying that mentality into marriage also, like, change that mentality before marriage and change it in marriage because that's not what sex is. It's not something, like, pornographic like that. That's not what it is. It is something, it's a union that two people that love each other and care for each other and come together to, to perform this act of love. So all those other words for sex, all those other thoughts about sex, like, don't listen to that and I think that's part of the reason why our mentality of it is kind of like bad also.
5: Yeah, um, I'm gonna be a little rebellious here. I had a friend and um, she I think should have been born like in the, I don't even know, she should have been an adult in the 1950s because she was just the cutest little thing, super pure, 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 godly Christian woman and um, I remember when she got married and having a conversation with her. And she suddenly just described, very, without too much detail, her wedding night. And she was so excited. It was not this, like, horrible, like a oh, shameful, you know, terrifying thing. And I remember listening to her share this experience, after, you know, having been pure this whole time, I think she and her fiancé had hugged um, to your talk. <laughs> and, and then just boom, right? And she described this whole thing in the most pure, beautiful, exciting way. And I thought it was one of the most freeing things I had ever heard. Because I think that that's the problem for a lot of us. is. It's like taboo, you know, like you can't talk about that. You listen to media, which we're pummeled with, with all this vulgarity and this just, you know, sex in all kinds of ways. But we don't talk like you can't go to a close friend of yours and discuss what it's really like within marriage in an honoring, pure way. And I think that we need to help each other in that area so that there's more of those conversations and less of this only the media, only pornography, only um, the vulgarity of it, um, or the shameful no, nobody touches, nobody da da, 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 da da you know, just no 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 no. I think we have to talk about that that other area.
0: Sorry. Also like this is something that you can even like God cares about and you can pray about it. Like honestly, like I have this book called Power of the Praying Wife and we actually did like a, a married woman's uh life group, thank you, <laughs> life group about it, and there's a whole chapter in there about praying for your marriage's sexuality, and praying for the beauty of it in your marriage, so this is something God really cares about, and it is something very, very beautiful in that, you know, you pray about it, and I prayed for it, and it really, like, you know, brought blessing into our marriage, and and I think it's really important that um, married people, and if you're about to get married too, to mentor with each other, and talk freely with each other, and talk about its beauty, and everything like that, because if you have a mentor of somebody that's married or you know, talking about it in such a godly way, that will also help if us as married people like, talk about the beauty of it and like, the godly side of it too.
4: I know I, I know it's for the ladies. <laughs> married men. The best thing, if you want to get a good gift for your wife, hey, get him this book. <laughs> get, a, get him the book uh, what, The Power of a Praying Wife. It, if they don't want to read the whole thing, just at least let them read the chapter about uh, sexual Intimacy. And, and I, I'm, I'm serious. Like, it's, it's a really great book, and, it, and it's, it's really good for, for, for marital intimacy.
1: All the husbands frantically jotting down. <laughs> what, what, I, what I'll say about that subject, too, is this. That's why we're doing this series. That's exactly why we're doing this series. And when we started this series, we had a debate of what to call it. Because we want to talk about love and dating. But should, should we put the word sex in the title? Because, like, I don't mind talking to you all about sex, but I'm announcing it after liturgy, and, like, my kid is there, and your kids are there. And it's not common to hear the word sex in a church. But we said we need—that's exactly why we need to put the, ti- the in the title, to, like, get rid of the bad stigma around this word sex. I know I know two people who told me this over, over the past year, two people who got married, great people. Like Susan said, people who kept themselves in very, very pure and two people who told me, I talked to them like after their honeymoon, how was it, whatever. Two people, separate people, not married to each other, like a, a boy and a girl each told me, you know what, I know it's allowed, but it still feels like it's wrong. <laughs> like I know it's legal now, but it just feels like it's wrong still. And I'm like, get rid of that mentality. Like it's, a, you know what I mean? But it's so ingrained in us that we don't talk about these things, especially in church. But I'm telling you, God talks about these things. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says that marriage is to be honored by all and the bed undefiled meaning the marriage bed is something pure it's not something dirty it's not something bad it's not something we don't talk about it that's exactly why we're doing this series that's why parents we need to talk to our kids we need to get rid of the bad stigma on on on, on sex okay final thoughts from anyone on our panel before i answer the final question anyone anything you want to throw in Did they do a good job? Give them a big hand. Before we finish, I'm going to answer one last question. i got to stand up for this last question. Okay. There's stairs here if you want, if it's easier for you. Sorry. i got to stand up for this last question. Because I struggle to speak about things passionately when I'm sitting down. I can't even talk on the phone when I'm sitting down. So it was, I made it this far. So this person, is a, is a person asked this question, but regardless of whether or not they asked it, I was going to talk about this to conclude. And I've actually been planning this for the last two weeks that I have to wrap up this series with exactly what I'm gonna talk about right now. This person is saying this. Saying, how do you... Well, I want to skip the first part. We're talking about a relationship where God isn't present. How do you take what we've learned and apply it to an existing relationship where you're already sinning? What I want to talk about is this. What I want to say is we've talked a lot about the ideal. We've talked a lot about what God's ideal for our marriage and purity, and our sexuality, and all these different things. The reality is, there isn't a person sitting here today, single or married, who hasn't made a mistake. The reality is that every single one of us, let him who was without sin cast the first stone. No one could cast a stone. There isn't a person, if I said, okay, now we're going to bring up here on stage the perfect example of a perfect marriage, someone who kept themselves 100% pure, and did everything 100% right, and is 100% submissive wife, 100% leading husband, there's no person who's gonna stand up here on this stage, unless someone that I don't know about. So what I wanna say to you is we presented the idea, but I know the reality falls very, very, very far away place. And for some people, like the stuff that I'm talking about, I realize it's bringing up like regrets and guilt and feelings of I messed up and I'm too far. And I wanna finish this series by telling you there is no house that God cannot fix. There's no house that God cannot fix. There is not one person who is too lost that God cannot find them. Like there's not one square inch of this planet where you are so far that God cannot pick you up and put you in the palm of his hand. Find me one place, find me one place where God cannot reach you with his love and his grace and everything that he has. So I don't want anyone to leave here discouraged from this series of saying, I have too far a ways to go. I can never make it, I've fallen too far. If y'all remember, we did a series about a year ago called God's Ethics, and in that series, we talked about Christianity, true Christianity, the mindset of Christianity today that we have is wrong, which is right and wrong, is no right and wrong. That's not the way we've traditionally thought about sin. We've thought about it as a road to perfection, as a climbing up of a mountain, and wherever it is that you are on that mountain, wherever it is, you're single, you're struggling with internet pornography, You are married and you feel like, you know what, you have messed up your marriage. You've been so mean and disrespectful to your husband. You can never build him back up again. You have been unfaithful in your marriage and your wife doesn't know. You don't know what in the world you're going to do next. Whatever area that you've messed up in, all I'm telling you is wherever you're on the mountain, you can go forward. You can go forward. And that's all I want to challenge everyone to do is you're not going to reach the top of the mountain. You're not going to reach the top of the mountain today or tomorrow or the next day. But can you take a step? Yes, the answer is yes, you could take a step, wherever it is that you are. No one's allowed to leave here feeling guilty. No one's allowed to leave here feeling like there's no hope for me in my singleness or my, in my dating. Everyone who's up here, and I, I think I, I commend them because they, they were fantastic in sharing not just their strengths but their weaknesses, and not just saying their successes but also our failures, and I'm telling you that no one person is beyond God's ability to correct and fix, but we have to be honest, and we have to take a step up that mountain. Can we agree on that? Can you promise me that no one is feeling guilty and that if you are feeling guilty, you come talk about it and you'll see that just like feeling guilty about your mistakes is like going to the hospital and saying, I feel like I can't go to the doctor. Why? Because I'm too sick. He's gonna be ashamed of me for being so sick. No, that's actually what his job is, is to heal the sick. So there's no such thing as, I'm not good enough to come to Father Anthony. I'm not good enough to come to God. I'm not good enough to be part of this church. There's none of that stuff. There's none of that stuff. What we talked about in the failure series, the church is not a museum for saints. It's not a showroom for saints. It's a hospital room. It's an emergency room for sinners of of whom all of us are amongst them, okay? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when God, amen. Lord, we thank you for your grace, which truly is amazing. And thank you, Lord, that there's no situation or circumstance or problem or trial or whatever, but we're so far away that we can't reach out to you and you reach back to us. Lord, you said the one who comes to me, I'll by no means cast him away. And you spent your entire ministry on this earth reaching out to those who are sick and lost and blind and couldn't see you. And you opened their eyes so that they can see the beautiful things that you have prepared for them. I pray, Lord, that as we wrap up this series, series which which kind of hits home with everyone in, in, in different places, in different ways. I pray that you would inspire us all to the relationship, the way of relationship that you have ordained for us and and, and the kind of, of marriages that, that you know can fulfill us and that could be honoring to you and pleasing to you and raise up a generation of, of children that is just on fire for you. I pray, Lord, that you would help each person here to take a step, whether it's a step of repentance, a step of confession, a step of, of accountability, a step of honesty in confessing to our spouses, whatever step, Lord, we need to, to get to where you want us to be, Lord. I pray that you would strengthen us to do so. You'd give us courage and bravery and power and wisdom so we can do those things, Lord, so we can get the kind of relationships that you have ordained for us. Thank you Lord for every person who's here who's declaring that the way the world teaches dating we reject it. The way the world teaches about sex we reject it. The way the world looks down and laughs at marriage as a as an antiqu as a an old thing Lord as a as a something from the past Lord we reject all that. We only want to to see things like from your perspective. Pray Lord that you would do like a revival in our marriages and our singleness and and let us to like look back one day and see that this was like a turning point for so many people. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all your saints. Here it says we pray together thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.
0: us As we
1: forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord,
0: for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.